Well, it's time for another highly scientific poll. Uh, and here's how I want to do this. You all have voting mechanisms attached to your hands, and it works like this. I agree. I disagree. Okay, so you got three choices. All right. Now, here's what I've found in the past when I ask a question. You always look around and see what everybody else is doing, and I see a lot of... Right? So here, this is going to be a blind poll. All right, so here's how this works. I'm going to ask a question. You close your eyes, give me your answer, and you cannot change your answer. And then I'll say, open your eyes, and we can all look and make fun of each other. Okay? So, so one more time. I agree. What's this? Disagree. And neutral. And, okay, neutral. All right, very good. All right, so everybody close your eyes, and here's the poll question. Is work a good thing? Register your votes now. Okay, open your eyes and look around. This is remarkable. The work is a good thing. All right, you guys have been in the book. I'm just going to say amen and we can go home then. No, I'm not. All right. So work is a good thing, but sometimes we can make work a bad thing. And we're in the middle of this series where we are talking about, uh, whoops, I went the wrong way. We're talking about the rhythms of life, and three rhythms that we are putting together are work, rest, and worship. So what we're talking about today, we've been through all of this, we're getting finally down to work. Now, I know that work is good because it's in the good book, and it says this, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and care for it. So for any of you who might be thinking work is a curse, I hate work, I don't want to work, think about this. When God created paradise, the purpose of human beings was to work and care for it. That's paradise. Now, how many people think that your work is paradise? Yeah, there we go. The, the, the thumbs are starting to slide a little bit. So somewhere in this process, we have taken work and changed it from its original intent. And my hope today is that we can change it right back to where God has made it. Now, will this guarantee that your workplace is paradise? Not unless they come to work your church and find Jesus. You tell them that. Right? Maybe. I don't know. But what it can do is it can change your perspective in wherever you are. So, on we go. Work is good. Now, well, we change some things. I don't know if any of you had that wonderful experience of all of a sudden you have to work from home and your kids aren't going to school and you might have looked something like this as you're trying to do very important things in your house. So COVID has reassigned how we look at work and how we try to do this thing that we call balancing work and life, work-life balance. Have you ever heard that phrase, work-life balance? Yeah. So how many people have mastered work-life balance? All right, yeah, me, me either, by the way. I'm like the world's worst at it, probably. So do what I say, not what I do. That's what you want to hear from every preacher, right? So we have to change about how we, how we look at things. And one of the things that we can do as we examine this work-life balance is, is take balance out of the equation for just a second. Suspend your judgment. And I want to talk rhythms this morning because that's a sermon series. And I want to take a different approach at how we put all these things together in our lives. And the way that we're going to do that is we're going to start with a look at 2 Thessalonians. How often do you read that book? Yeah, where is it? It's way in the back. 2 Thessalonians. Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica. And Thessalonica has two things that are significant that are going on. 
Number one, they have some false teaching that's circulating that the second coming has already happened. So, and maybe they missed it, right? Or maybe they just think like, because it's not like they had internet and everything is instant, right? They're thinking, okay, Jesus has come again somewhere and it's just working its way to us. So that was the first false teaching that, that Paul had to, to turn up against. Now, the result of that false teaching in, in part was people thought, well, if Jesus is coming again and I've just got to wait for him to be here, I don't have to work. I'm just going to be idle and, and, and actually be a nuisance in some cases. So they weren't working. They had the opposite problem of most Americans. You know, we, we work too much. They weren't working enough. So that's where we pick up the story in 2 Thessalonians today. I know that's an eye check, so uh, bear with me. I will read it for you. I'm starting in uh, chapter 3, verse 6, 2 Thessalonians. Paul is writing to the church, and he says, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. Anyone who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some of you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Take special note of those who do not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. You do not regard them, yet do not regard them as enemies, but warn them. Fellow believers. These are the words of God for the people of God. And for these words, we are grateful. Sometimes these words sting a little bit. I mean, Paul doesn't mince words. Did you pick up what he's saying here? Do not associate, stay away from people who are idle. Sounds kind of harsh. But you know, sometimes that harshness is the truth. Maybe coming out with a little less love veneer than normal. But it's still truth. There, there are things to be done. The, the reason that he's talking so much about the disruptive piece and the idle piece is that the two, in this case, went together. Because if they weren't doing the work uh, of the community and the work of the church and, and the work of that community, the work that that community needed, then not only are they a drain on people's resources, they also a drain on people's time. Why, why do I say that this is important? Because a lot of times when we think about uh, the, the idea of work, uh, especially in ministry, like when we go out and we help people, when we build houses, when we deliver food, when we do all these things, we look at people, at, and, and you don't have to raise your hand on this one, this is not a secret ballot, but we look at people and say, are they just lazy, or, or do they really need help? I don't know if you've ever had that question go through your mind. Some people have actually told me, I sometimes feel like I'm being taken advantage of when I serve people because I don't know, maybe they're just milking the system. And maybe they are. But what does love require? Well, here's one of the recent reasons that WordServe does the two R's, repeatable and relational. 
wherever we serve, we try to repeat that. So it's not a one-time occurrence. And where there is repetition, there is a chance to build a relationship. And a part of that relationship is to introduce Christ into that relationship, but a part of that might be to help them help themselves. There are documented circumstances where people have taken advantages of systems. There are documented evidences of where people have been enabled to live a lifestyle, and they never try to improve because why would they? They have everything they need being given to them. So what does love require? It requires that we serve those people. But maybe at some point, as we build that relationship, it also requires us to encourage them, to lift them up out, to give them the tools to help themselves so that they're not always These are the discussions that we should be having as we talk about compassion projects, not just who we serve, but how we serve, and how we serve long-term. This is Christian accountability, and it seems harsh, but in reality, it's building up the community, and it's building towards the kingdom. And it might be uncomfortable, it might make you uncomfortable to hear, but hear this, the end result. I always ask the question, to what end are we doing this? To what end is Paul encouraging us to not associate. He says it right there so that they feel shame. That feels really harsh. But follow that through to the very end. To what end is Paul doing this so that they are reconciled to the community and are productive members of the community of Christ? It's a hard way to get there. But never forget, like he says here at the very end, he says, one, never tire of doing good. Because you can get worn down. If you live in that space where people are just taking advantage of me when I serve, you will get worn down and you will quit doing good and somebody who needs good is going to miss out. So never tire of doing good. But look at the very end. In spite of everything that he says, yet do not regard them as enemies, but warn them as fellow believers. In other words, invite them into this community. Invite them into this community that serves with purpose, that serves to lift people up. There are a couple of good books uh, that you might want to read this summer if you're uh, looking for reading material. Uh, one is called Toxic Charity. Has anybody read that book? Okay, good. It has very few pictures, so that's a deterrent. Uh, a toxic Charity. The other one is When Helping Hurts. And it's actually a documented case in this second guy was uh, in service uh, ministry for over 30 years and he actually takes a look at how he did that and how in some cases he actually enabled some lifestyles that were not healthy or productive for people and then the lessons that he learned so that helping helps helping doesn't hurt so my encouragement to you word sir because we are a church who serves and we do it a lot is to read one or two of those books or similar material and let's have some good discussions about how we lift people up not just temporarily, but for the better, for the good, for the long term. That's my encouragement. We'll see how it goes in the summer. And if you're looking for reading material, there's a good one. The uh, other thing that I would like to uh, talk about is the, the opposite of that. Because I think a lot of times in America, uh, and, and based on what I'm seeing, and, and based on what I know about me, is that the opposite sometimes comes true, and, and we get addicted to work. You've heard the phrase uh, workaholism. Sometimes that's just a, an ambition. Sometimes that's a, I'm, a, I'm driving to provide for my family. Sometimes it's to escape other things. Maybe I don't want to look in the mirror every day, so I keep myself busy so I don't have to. 
maybe my home situation isn't so good, so I stay at work longer because then I don't have to deal with the stuff at home. Maybe there's other relations around me that give me more reward at work than they do anywhere else in my life. And so I become addicted. I become a work read an interesting article from the New York Times. Um, I don't know how I ended up there, but anyway, uh, they said that busyness is now a status symbol. Uh, think about this. How many times are you asked, like, hey, how's it going? Oh, I'm so busy. Yeah, and if we're doing the same thing, I'm so busy, which means I'm really important, right? Yeah. It's a status symbol, and people are doing things at work to stay busy, to look busy, because that is being rewarded. How silly is this? What's more important, busyness or productivity? Those are not the same thing. What's being rewarded? Busyness. What does that say long term about how we're doing? What's being produced? Not much. I think there's a a, a rainforest somewhere that is crying out for all the the paper sticky notes that we stick on things to look busy. Right? Can you hear the wailing of the forest in the background? They're killing me. They're like, well, we're doing us while we're at it. Because we're staying busy, but we're getting so little done that we have to go back to be busy again so that we can look like we're accomplishing something. I think that goes down to work smarter, not harder. I think I've heard that somewhere before. But here's here's the really telling thing. When it comes to this whole balance of who we are, you cannot separate the physical from the mental from the spiritual. It's all together, folks. I don't know if you caught on to this. I've learned this lesson about a million times, even recently, that you can't separate these things. And here's a quote that I found. I don't know uh, who this dude is, but um, this is a good quote. So many people spend their health gaining wealth and then have to spend their wealth to regain their health. Say that one more time in case the folks at home can't read that. So many people spend their health gaining wealth and then have to spend their wealth to regain their health. Seems like there ought to be a better way to do this, doesn't it? So here's what I want to do. In terms of application, we're going to get really practical here for a second. I want you to look at this relationship of work, rest, and worship because that's what the sermon series has been all about. And I want you to look at the, the average time in a week. This is a, this is one week across the platform here. I used red for work. I used blue for rest. And here's the typical pattern that I see. Once you get through all that stuff, if you work hard and play hard, what do you got left for worship? That sliver. That's the green. Right? And I see this all the time because I, I am guilty of it myself. But Bill, you work in a church. Yes, I work in a church, but that doesn't mean I'm worshiping. I have to catch myself. I have to check myself. I have to have men around me. In my case, it's a men's group. In yours, it could be a married or, or a women's group, whatever. I have to have men around me to go, Bill, what are you doing? It keeps me on track. So when I get to this little sliver here, think about any relationship that you have, any goal that you have, any uh, to-do that you have. If you spend that much time in a week on it, how successful are you going to be in that endeavor? Not much. It's going to be pretty skosh. And what we're talking about here is our relationship with none other than the creator of the universe. That's what we're skimping on. When we think about these categories, when we think about compartmentalizing, putting everything in a box. I've only got one hour on Sunday. That's my that's my Jesus box. So here's what we need to do. We need to get a little nutty. I know it's going to blow your mind, but I'm going to take this chart and we're going to rotate it. 
Right? Ready? Here we go. Boom. Now the week still starts at the left and it goes to the right. But what we've done is we've underlaid everything in the spirit of worship. Can you worship at work? You bet you can. Can you rest at work? You can. It takes some conversations. It takes some adjustments. But you can. Now, I wouldn't recommend like bringing in a hammock and racking out in the middle of the office in the middle of the day. But there are other things. We'll get to that in just a second. Uh, can you work and rest? Can you rest and work? Can you rest and worship? Can you worship and work? You start to see how this works, right? So it's layers. It's rhythms that we develop throughout the day or the week or the month. And the more deliberate that we are with these rhythms, the more likely we'll become integrated and stop being so fractured. We'll stop leaving Jesus to that one hour on Sunday and we'll bring him with us to work. What a novel concept. Here's how this looks. Because in the, in the past uh, two sermons that we've talked about, I've shared some quotes, so I want to remind us of where we were with the, the work, or excuse me, the rest and, and the worship. Here are two quotes. One is the, the left side is from a guy named Kerry Newhoff. It says, time off won't heal you when your problem is how you spend your time on. That's pretty, pretty radical. He also said a sabbatical isn't the solution for an unsustainable pace. A sustainable pace is a solution for an unsustainable pace. That's rhythms. That's not compartmentalization. Abe Lincoln was once famously uh, noted as saying, give me six hours to chop down a tree, I'll spend the first four sharpening the axe. You sharpen an axe for four hours? Aren't people going to accuse you of being lazy? Not if they understand what's going on. Not if they take the chart and flip it to rhythm. Right, so it's integrated throughout the day. Now, practically, what does this look like? It's going to look different for everybody. I just throw up these examples. You don't have to, have to use these. But don't compartmentalize. Here's, some, here's what I'm saying. Maybe make a mini Sabbath in the middle of the day. What does that look like? Ever took a, has anybody ever taken a power nap? I'm a big fan, i got to tell you. I learned this in the Air Force. Try this sometime. If you're worried that you're going to sleep too long or it's going to make you groggy, here's what you do. Take a glass of water and chug it. Then take a cup of coffee and chug it. And take a nap. I guarantee you will wake up energized with a sense of urgency. <laughs> try it. You don't believe me? Try it. I'm telling you, it works like a jam, man. I, I was never late for anything, and I felt refreshed, right? All right, so another one is work as worship. Well, what if during your lunch break you ate for 15 minutes and walked for 15 minutes listening to music or a podcast or something that lifts you up? That's possible. That's a, that's a rhythm. That's not a compartmentalization. There's a little worship break in the middle of the day. What if work was a witness? See, a lot of people will never darken the door of a church, and I understand. They've had bad experiences, or they just don't know if they can trust us. We might have horns or fangs or dance around, I don't know, oak trees at midnight, green Kool-Aid. Who knows? For whatever reason, they're not coming in. So let's take Jesus to them in their native environment. Sound like what's that doing on the National Geographic? Or see these priests in the native environment bringing Jesus to them. Right? That's what we need to do. Work as witness. What if you had instead of uh, the lunch break? What if you did a community group at work? Maybe that would be allowed. Maybe there would be some other way that you could get people to talk. Just it doesn't have to be complicated. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. 
In fact, I will make you this deal. I'm going to make everybody this deal, but for the first taker, if you have a work environment and you want a community group and you don't feel confident in doing that, you let me know what day you want to do that on your work hour. I will zoom in and I will run your group for you for the first eight weeks, and then it's on you. Deal? No deal. Okay, let's go back to this. <laughs> I'm serious. If you want a community group at work, but you're not confident in starting one, I will zoom in with you at eight weeks of your choosing, and I will help you get that started. And then I will encourage and coach you to continue that process. And guess what happens after that? I never do another one again. No. What happens after that is taker number two. I will zoom in with you for eight weeks. I'll get you started. I'll get you trained up. And then you're on your own. You see how this works? I'm trying to bring Jesus to the people. Who's with me? Okay. <laughs> so far, so good. We're doing great. All right, so work is good, but we can make it so bad. Can we go back to God's original design? The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. That's the role of work in all of this. Here's another saying. I don't know who said this. I didn't get the, the author. But I, I want to share it with you because I think it's very poignant. Never get so busy making a living that you forget to make a life. And I'm going to take this wonderful quote and I'm going to make it better by adding two words. Listen for them. Never get so busy making a living that you forget to make a life in Christ. That's the one that stands. That's the one that will be there for you when you need it. That's the one that will give you guidance when you're unsure. That's the one that the darkness cannot overcome. That's the one whose promise will stand forever. Will you pray with me, please? God, we thank you that you have given us work to do, work with meaning, work with purpose. God, forgive us when we take that gift and we abuse it or twist it. Forgive us when we don't trust you enough to provide, or we think that it has to all be on us, and so we work endlessly. Forgive us when we put our identity in our work instead of our relationship with you and who we are through you. And God, if, if we're on the other end of that perspective where we tend to not want to work or, or tend to get lazy in the things that you've given us to do, bolster us. Give us your spirit. Encourage us with the word from brothers and sisters. Help us to find that connection that brings us life as we serve, that brings us joy, that fills us with the energy required to do whatever it is that you've asked of us. God, as we look at what you have for us, help us not to look at the size of the task, but the size of our God. Help us not to wonder if we're qualified, but to feel the call and know that you will do the work ahead of us to make that way straight. God, where there are struggles in this, help us to understand that struggles just make us stronger. Struggles can deepen our faith. But not if we're not moving, and not if we're not serving. So God, we give you our all this morning. Teach us to love like you do. Teach us to serve this world like you do. Teach us to do your work in your way, in your rhythm.